Good morning and welcome to the TechMap podcast. My name is Andy Bargery and I'm your host for the show. So today we're talking with Andy Evans from Programmatic Advertising Technology Provider on Scroll. And Andy's talking to us all about the idea of measuring programmatic ad performance through viewability. And we'll be discussing topics around what are the main challenges and issues for the programmatic advertising sector right now and and what should I as a brand marketeer or even as a publisher do to make sure that I am taking full advantage of that programmatic landscape. So without further ado, without further chat from me, let's get straight on to the show. So Andy Evans, good morning. Welcome to the Tech Map Podcast. How Hello. Are How are you this morning? I'm very good, bright and breezy. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So Andy, why don't we kick off by you just introducing yourself, telling us a bit about who you are and on scroll and, and what you're up to. Yeah. So I'm Andy Evans, um, otherwise known as Digital Andy on Twitter. I am the co-founder of a company called On Scroll. On Scroll is a proactive viewability and engagement um, solution for publishers. I've been in digital media for 17, 18 years now. Um, uh, I founded a company called Net Communities uh, back in 1999 that I sold last year to Future Publishing. Um, and now I'm focusing on um, uh, viewability, engagement and um, programmatic advertising with OnScroll. So you're a serial entrepreneur, I guess, is the, ta- is the term used. <laughs> well, we were talking about that earlier. I'd, I've been involved in a few other things. So uh, I used to run a, a, an audio and video production company for podcasting. And I think um, my my first experience was selling rose water door to door to to old folk when I was about seven. So uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and, uh, I used to run a concert ticket agency, and uh, so yeah, I've, I've always dabbled in some kind of business and been trying to make money here, there, and everywhere. And uh, <laughs> so yeah. So what what led you into the world of programmatic or digital advertising with OnScroll? Then what what um, what made you think this was the right space to go to next? So, so I started Net Communities um, back in 1999, having worked in sort of advertising and marketing for for a long time, and um, I, you know, we were very early in di- digital publishing. Uh, I started a website called IT Pro Portal, which is a, a technology website. Then we we started when there was zero advertising. If you look at the IAB stats, you know, 1999 was right at the beginning. You know, we were going out and talking to people about digital advertising and uh, we, we were at the early curve so fast forward through that business we were publishers ourselves but we also represented uh, lots of sites uh, including websites like mashable.com business insider the verge for vox media and, and and many many others so we effectively acted as the uk office for those publishers so then eventually helped them you know migrate uh, into having their own uk office um, over here so so you know had a you know, quite a um, a broad range of uh, of experience in in digital. While so you can well, see both sides of the coin there in terms of publisher and advertiser's perspective. I think that's it's a really interesting point and and one that's actually really important to me is that as a on scroll as an ad tech provider myself and pretty much most of the team come from a publishing side and you know we believe we're delivering a solution which is very publisher centric and and we understand what it's like to be on the publisher side and we empathize with with, with the problems that they have and you know having been a publisher 
which is basically where OnScore came from, is, you know, I saw issues and problems around viewability and engagement and so on. And I, I started out taking ads off of sites that were below the fold that weren't being seen and so on to try and improve uh, engagement and, mm. and, you know, an ROI on, on the campaigns that we were doing. But it frustrated me because I, I realized that there was a lot of real estate using an Americanism on, uh, on publishers' sites and sites that we represented or owned that wasn't being monetized and it was, it was because it was below the fold and we weren't sure how to monetize it. And I just thought, well, if we can work out when an ad is in view, why can't we just fire that advert only when it's in view as opposed to just not fire anything at all? Mm. And, um, and that was where OnScroll was, was born. So, yeah. Interesting. So is that, I wanted to ask you about the, the sort of challenges and issues that are, I guess, industry-wide around digital advertising and programmatic advertising. But that issue of measurement and viewability seems to be one of those topics that's you know discussed all of the time. So is that is that one of the main challenges that you think OnScroll is going to help publishers and marketeers to, to kind of come together on and to understand better together how to measure the impact of digital advertising? Yeah, so, you know, in, in the um, 35, 40 months that we've been trading now, um, you know, we're now across nearly a thousand uh, sites and um, we're delivering just under a billion viewable impressions and and, and our approach is is uh, quite different to to many others in that you know we're not a retrospective measurement tool we are a proactive mm-hmm. dynamic tool to understand when an ad's going to be in view and only to load it in view and there are there are a number of approaches and, and ways of dealing with this we, we, you know, we focus on it and, and we believe we do an excellent job. And, um, you know, there, there are some very large publishers, mostly tier one, tier two publishers, newspaper groups, very well-known names that uh, are using OnScroll now to, to proactively solve their viewability issues. They're then in effect, so viewability has been, has been an issue where, you know, the agencies have been using retrospective measurement tools and absolutely they should. They should be looking at the best value and for the, the best ROI and making sure that the ads they buy are definitely being seen. And, 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 and that's the right way to approach things. But on the other side of the coin, if you're a publisher and you have to start taking impressions away from your website because you're not sure whether they're viewable or not, then starts to cost you financially, even that's mm. not ideal. Mm. So by implementing something like OnScroll, um, where the ads only load in view, you can now put ads anywhere on the page and, and actually start to claw back the number of ads, the amount of impressions you're delivering by putting ads you know, across the whole real estate and um, uh, and making sure that um, you, know, you, you keep the number of ads high, but also equally those 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 number of ads number of ads you deliver are of much better quality and a higher value have a higher click-through rate a better roi for the for the for the buyer so it's a win-win scenario the worst case for a publisher is literally just to be in a situation where they have to take ads off their page to 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 make up viewability numbers and and get penalized because uh, that's a that's a tremendous revenue cost mm. uh, and this sounds a bit like a no-brainer to a publisher to, to implement your technology but tell me just define very easily and simply what is viewability to someone that hasn't heard that expression before yeah so it's something that that really has come to the fore over the last two to three years it's, it's, it's been a, a big buzzword and um Ultimately, it's, you know, it's the difference between whether an ad is being seen or is not being seen. You know, when you load a page on a website, it will generally render the whole page that is being loaded. And that page could be 
quite long if you if you fold it out a piece of paper you know as if it was a, a screen it's only the top of the bit of paper that you're looking at and until you start scrolling you don't see the whole piece of paper and uh so you know you might load and render a, a whole page and there might be ads loading on that page at the bottom of the page that you never get to see because you're just not scrolling right so those ads aren't viewable now the, the industry has come together to try and address that and to say, well, what's the fair scenario of what a viewable advert is? And the, the fair scenario and, and the measurement that most people will use is, um, is the ad 50% in view? And is it in view for more than one second? So that's now generally traded as, as an IEB standard uh, as being, okay, that's that's what we think is viewable. So is that 50%? So, so that sounds like that that applies to... Uh, a display ad, so a banner, yep. for example. But how does that work with, let's say, video ads or or other creative? So yeah, so video ads are slightly different. They will they're they're, they're less common standards for that. But I, I believe the one that people are mostly working to is a hundred percent in view and viewed for more than two seconds. Okay. Um, so, and I I think you know. <laughs> it's almost like beauty is in the eye of the beholder you know we can set standards and say that this is the the bare minimum to work to but ultimately this is not about just ticking a box and saying okay we were 50 percent in view for more than one second it's about delivering high value roi for the advertisers Mm. and if we do that and we do a great job then they will come back and spend more money because they're getting good value from their purchase so you know if we just tick the 50 percent in view for one second that that isn't really answering the question. The question is, what is real value for the advertiser? Does it need to be 100% in view for two seconds? And and so, I often this is a bit of a curve a, a curveball uh, answer, but I often think about this back to my very earliest days of selling advertising space. You know, I used to sell you know ad space in magazines, yep. and, and um, you, you go out, you meet somebody, and say, "Well, what do you want to buy?" And um, and they give you a really clear, clear brief. I need this. I need that. And you say, do you know what, I'll go away and have a think about that and I'll come back to you with a proposal of what, how we can best answer that problem. And, and yeah, they would take, you know, take a week or two to get a transaction and then you close the deal and you'd run it. But there would be quite a lot of thought that goes on between that, that, that first meeting and then delivery of the ad campaign. Nowadays with programmatic, everything happens in milliseconds, right? And th- there's not enough information being traded from the buyer to the, to the seller to say, this is what I want. And, it, and it's really like the buyer is going around looking for what they want and the publisher's putting a load of stuff out on the table and saying, oh, if you like it, come buy it. And so that old-fashioned trade of like, let me think about what I can give you and give you back what you want doesn't really exist in programmatic advertising at the moment. And um, so I, I think that, that causes some problems. So as the programmatic market evolves, uh, if we can find ways of, of – really improving the way that the, the programmatic platforms are communicating with the want, um, you know, the need, and then how that can be fulfilled dynamically by the publisher rather than just putting your wares on the table mm. and saying, here's my stuff, do you want to come buy it and then come bid the best price? If we can make that much cleverer, then there's, there's going to be a better handshake between the, um, between the, the buyer and the seller. So um, is, that, is that ever going to be possible in a real-time environment? Hundred percent. I absolutely. I, I totally believe that is that is definitely possible. It's just an evolution. It's gonna. It's gonna take some time. And 
fraud auditing, um, you know, viewability auditing, you know, our awareness of ad blocking and so on, you know, are all just pieces of the puzzle. And ultimately, it will all come together into just making sure that we deliver the best value proposition that works for both sides. Um, You know, data is included in that. And there are lots of different facets. It's really just making sure that we understand what all those all those levers are mm. so that they can be pulled on both sides to, to create the best possible trade. So let's go back a bit to where you were talking about viewability and then you're talking about 50% viewability for for one second or 100% for two seconds. And then you went on to talk about actually it doesn't really matter that much because the, the real value comes out of what's the return on the overall spend or the investment. So so then ultimately I'm guessing that the viewability is a is a KPI you can use to assess the likely performance or outcome of a campaign. But what else can you what else can you measure alongside viewability? Like for example, engagement metrics. Is it does that add some value in assessing or predicting the likely value overall of a campaign? Sure. I mean I think that's the the next step uh that that you know people are really starting to pay attention to. And so viewability is let, let's assume we've solved viewability and you know it's just a given that you know you can now as a buyer buy viewable ads. Some some publishers are going to suffer through that because they're going to have less inventory uh, available to them. So one solution is the one we spoke about earlier, which is you know putting ads anywhere on the page that only load in view. But an, another way to look at it is to say, okay, well, can we start to quantify what is the value of, of an advert based on how long it's in view for? Um, and there really are no uh, clear and cut standards on that right now. Um, you know, there are there are a bunch of surveys out from various agencies and um, buying platforms that are, are looking at this. But mm. it's, it's generally understood that the brand impact of an of an ad expires after about 27 to 30 seconds and you know, at, at that point um, you know the ad has done the, the, the brand impact uh, job that it the best brand Im- impact job that it can do mm. in addition you know that's probably when you're going to see a click interaction if you're likely to see one as well so if that's the case and then everything it starts to tail off after that point um, you know our proposition to a publisher would be well, consider the opportunity of the value of that ad. If you continue to show that ad, it's expired value for the, for the brand and expired value for you. So now you have an opportunity to potentially refresh that ad and to bring a, bring a new ad in that same position. <clears throat> but it must be actively in view. The, the user must still have it in the viewport. The user must still be active. It must still be on that tab. It, it mustn't have anything over the top of it. And so, and it must be a consistent 30 seconds of viewing time that they have there. So then you're really talking about something that's more akin to radio and TV advertising and buyers buying on time in view mm. um, as opposed to just an impression. So, and I think, again, it improves the value proposition on both sides. It means that if I can guarantee more time to my advertisers to give them the brand impact and uplift they're looking for, then I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get a better trade for that. But equally on the, uh, on, on the other side, the, the buyer and the, uh, and the, the client is going to get a better uplift um, by, by having a, you know, guarantees that are mm. more akin to what they, they would buy in TV and radio. So that's interesting. And then presumably off the back of that traditional sort of brand tracking studies will help to prove the value of that particular campaign. But yeah. I'm guessing then if we're looking at more performance marketing metrics, so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, let's say we're talking with an e-commerce client and they want yeah. to track it back to actual sales, yeah. you get even more of an ability to track and measure the ROI because you can see, in theory, you can tie that campaign back to specific purchases and and, uh, revenue generated, right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I th- I, there's, there's two elements to that. There's the viewability and there's the engagement. I think the engagement side of things is 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 more akin to is probably more valuable to a brand advertiser who is looking to make sure that their brand is in front of somebody for a longer time to get that impact. You know, mm. a Coca-Cola or a McDonald's or something like that. That kind of thing is going to, I assume, is going to be of, of more value. But with regards to sort of direct response advertisers, there there are. You know, it's, it's it's interesting how the market has evolved. Let's think about it. If you, if if you if, if you came to my house for a party and you knock on my door and, and say hi, Andy, uh, how are you doing? And then I say to you, oh, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming to the party. Why don't you pop down the pub first and come back later? That would be a really unusual thing to do. Right? <laughs> Pretty. Yeah? And, the, and yeah. the reason why I say that is if you think about the web websites, every website you go to, the first thing you see is ads at the top of the page above the content that you came for. Right. I came to the house for a party. I came to the website for content. Right. But you're actually straight away asking me to leave your website and go somewhere. So but I came for the content. So let's assume they then ignore those ads. And I'm not saying those ads are worth this. I'm just saying that they're potentially worth less than an ad that is engaged Mm. and and delivered at the right time. So now you start to engage with the content, you scroll down the page, you read the piece of content you're interested in, you you feel nourished by the the information that you've learned that you came to to look at, and then you get to the bottom of the page or, or halfway down the page and you're presented with an ad only in view that is related to the content that you looked at. Okay, so now you are actually ready to move on, right? So you've been to my house, you've been to the party, we've had a few drinks, and I politely say, do you know what, I think I'm going to wrap things up that right now, but do you know what, there's a pub around the corner you should pop to if you want to stay out for a few more hours. That's a much more human way of, of, of interacting and doing things, and it's, it's counterintuitive to the way that the market works right now. That's a really interesting way of looking at the advertising world, or, or at least digital advertising. You know, the, it's it is very frustrating. I imagine to a lot of certainly from from my perspective, as you go to somewhere like um, I don't know Forbes, for example, and the first thing you see is an advert before you even reach to their homepage. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, can, can you go to the pub first and then come back for my party? I think it's a really interesting way to look. Yeah, at I that. mean, I, you know, I've been a publisher, and you know, I I fought hard to try and build traffic and build audience, and it's a really tough thing to do. And ultimately, look, you know, users are coming to sites for for content, and um, you know, and, and 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 you know, when we buy a magazine, we want content, but actually, we quite like the ads in there as well because they're well placed and you know, and they're related and so on. And you know, the experience of buying a magazine is is a positive one because you get a nice balance of ads and, and content, and people don't complain and rip out the ads or whatever in the same way they'd use an ad blocker. So, you know, I think that. Um, we just need to be a little bit continue to be more mindful of the user the audience and why we you know why we're doing all this and and ultimately if we do a really good job for the user and the audience and the content and deliver the users ads when they really want to see them and when they're valid we're all going to get a better experience yeah absolutely and i think the idea of showing those ads part way down the page i almost want to go into the direction of native ads but you raise something a bit more interesting there just at the 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 end of that last bit there you're talking about ad blocking and obviously ad blocking is is a big topic on all of our lips right now because it is rising in popularity i think i saw a study somewhere saying that 20 percent of the global internet um, users or adults are now using ad blockers and and that's a huge huge number of people and that will have obviously 
an impact on publishers' ability to serve ads, uh, on marketeers' ability to book ads, uh, and obviously the revenues that that generates. So, so why are we seeing ad blockers becoming more and more popular, and, and what should we as an industry do about it? Mm. So, this is an interesting one because um, th- there's a lot of theories. Um, I was at the Digital Media Strategies event yesterday, watching a, a discussion on this, and and I think there's there's a, it's a there's a social issue. There's I've been inundated by ads, and I don't want to see as many, so I'm going to block the ads. There are people out there that do that. I don't. I personally, it's just my personal belief. I don't have numbers to back this up. I don't believe that that is the prevalent issue. I don't believe that is the main issue. Why? I think that those kind of people are are few and far between. You're always going to have those people, and there's not really much you can do about it. And if people don't want to see ads, then then they're going to block them. Mm. But equally, the publisher has a right to say, if you are blocking ads, I am not showing you my content because this is a, a mutual trade. You know, content and, and isn't for nothing. So you either accept the ads or you pay for the content or or you leave. And I think that's totally acceptable trade. <laughs> is that technically possible to create that environment where you come into a website and you, you have the option, see ads or, or, or pay a subscription? For sure. There, there are a number of, um, of suppliers out there that, that do exactly that and provide that solution into publishers. There are tools out there that publishers can use to break through ad blockers and actually just still deliver adverts if they want to. There are, there are now... <laughs> there are now ad blockers for ad blockers. There's a, there's an actually a tool, and I, I I can't remember the name of it offhand at the moment. I can send it to you later. Which is if you're using an ad blocker, and then there are publishers that have managed to break through the ad blocker, use this secondary tool to then block the ads. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But again, I, I just don't think I think that this is going down a rabbit hole. I I don't think this is really the the, the one of the key issues here. And I'm I want to share something with you you know, today that I, I've been studying for the last few weeks. Please do. And, and, and I think is a slightly different perspective and view on what, what is potentially really going on under the bonnet. And, um, and it, it, it comes down to that Hollywood, the suffering that Hollywood is going through is echoed through into the ad tech market. And so let me put some color mm, on that. Elaborate, please. That yeah. Case, right. <laughs> because, for, for for a long time, the, the internet has been used for a lot of great things and, and some not so great things. And, you know, we've gone through the era of, you know, sort of Pirate Bay and, and Kazar and these kind of things for music and video sharing and, and, and those kind of things. And, and, and mostly through the sort of BitTorrent uh, or peer-to-peer uh, style of, uh, approach of, of downloading. And no matter what anybody says, you know, that, that stuff is, is enormous on the internet and, and has been enormous. But for the last couple of years, through regulation and, and ISPs cutting, holding back, people getting to those websites and, and, and the downfall of the pirate bays and, and so on and so forth. So peer-to-peer and BitTorrent has become less popular. Yet there is a thirst in the market for people to still want to access films before they come out or when they come out or without paying for them. And I'm not advocating one way or another and this is not i'm not approving this i you know i think that as i said earlier if you want to see my content it costs money nothing is for free and and but unfortunately there is a market for this on the internet and um one of the one of the great risers online is a website called putlocker and putlocker basically is like youtube for for, for 
Hollywood movies and TV shows and so on streamed there and then you log on and there you go. Now, for anybody that has, has been on and looked at a put locker, and you know, I, I believe my job is to understand the internet in its in its entirety. So I, you know, I look around and try and study and look at everything mm, okay. um, to understand what's going on. If you if you if you do look at websites like Put Locker, they are financing themselves through advertising. Now, it's not great that that they are allowed to plug into programmatic platforms and receive revenue, and that really seriously needs to be dealt with. But equally, the other thing that's not so great is from a user experience perspective, when you visit those websites, you are absolutely inundated with advertising to the point that if you every single click that you do, a new ad pops up. I mean, literally, ad pop-ups, ad overlays, literally taking you to new browser tabs and so on. You cannot do a click on the website without an ad appearing. It's a horrible, horrible experience. Really horrible experience. Yeah, okay. User. Now, so what, what am I saying here? So, so if you did a search for a site like PutLocker, it's highly likely that the second or third search result on that, on that lookup will be an ad blocker. Because the first thing that people want to do when they go to those websites is block the ads. Mm, okay. okay. So, so what people, are, I believe people are doing, and, and I can send you a, um, a, some, some mapping I've done on Google Trends, which correlates the, the relationship between the rise of PutLocker and the, the rise of use of, of, of ad blocking tools. It, it absolutely is hand-in-hand correlation that people are downloading these tools probably to access sites like the Put Locker where they're getting streaming video to block all their ads. But then they're doing that for that specific use case. But then once they've got the ad blocker installed, it's there all the time. And they go, oh, oh, well, I'll, I'll just leave it on and it's fine. And It's not, you know, it's and, not doing them any harm, is it? It's only, it's it's only enhancing their experience. They don't realise that they're actually make, they're, they're, create, they're, they're doing harm mm. to the industry, the legitimate industry who are trying to make a living from good quality content and advertising. Mm. And so, and if you think about how big BitTorrent was and became, mm. that was massive. And you, you think about how big sites like these um, – put lockers and so on you know how big they must be now i have no idea you know how big they are and i should probably dig deeper into that but you know there there are going to you know it's those kind of sites that are encouraging people to use an ad blocker because they want to watch these free films and you know then that's having a really terrible negative knock-on effect to the rest of the market so back to my first point is 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 the programmatic advertising industry suffering from the same issues that hollywood is and um, and you know it's it's robbing the content providers of much needed revenue to continue to build great content and to de- deliver value to the user. I think it's really interesting. I've never heard of Putlocker before, but it sounds like quite a smart move by Hollywood to yeah. to put out their films to almost. You, know you, might even, you might even want to you might even want to beep out the full name of the website because I don't <coughs> I don't necessarily want to be the one to be promoting it. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, um, but it, you know, it, it's it's one of many out there. But I can you know I I can show through Google Trends an- analysis you know, a real clear correlation. And it was actually interesting to, you know, in that correlation as well, there was a bit of a drop off of link between downloading ad blockers and the use of PutLocker because I believe PutLocker actually started to recognize that that these ad blockers were being used. And they then started to do the same thing to say, if you want to watch our videos, you need to stop using ad blocker. Interesting. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I tell you what, I won't share the link anywhere to to this this website. We won't mention the name again, <laughs> just so as we don't uh, further promote the idea. But I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that there's that value exchange between you as the publisher producing high quality content, you as the consumer enjoying that content. You need to at some point understand that the value exchange is that you have to view an advert, and 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 those that understand it will always be fine with it, and perhaps not adopt the ad blockers, as long as the creative uh, is sensitive to the audience. In other words, not overly intrusive, uh, matches their interests and their um, behaviours. I suppose then perhaps that's you know another simplistic way of looking at ad blocking is. As long as we're providing a value exchange that's understood by the audience, then perhaps it won't um, be the issue that it might be. Yeah, and I, I, and I really truly don't believe that it uh, the, the 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 deep root of ad blocking is users maliciously pushing back and saying, "I just don't want to see ads," mm. because ads ads are valuable, and and you know the, the the right ad at the right time presented in the right way that is not intrusive um you know has a value back to magazine publishing you know a a good 60 40 balance between content and 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 ads and the right ads in the right place um, can actually be complementary to an experience and and there are some great creative executions out there There are some brilliant video ads i mean you know you you know we can i'm sure we can all sit and name loads of ads that you know we love the um you know i always use for on scroll you know the ron seal it does what it says on the can you know, when people talk to me about, you know, about what does OnScroll do? I say it's really simple. We proactively solve ad viewability. It's like it's Ronseal. It does what it says in the can. <laughs> That's what it is, right? So we've all got those memories of those great ad campaigns, and and they're still out there, and they're, and there there are there are more to come, and 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 it would be a real, you know, really sad world if if um if that if that didn't live on. Do you think that you've got those memories, like with the Ron Seal example there, because of the value of the creative execution that was probably a TV spot rather than online? Yeah. Do you think that online offers the same level of recall and memorability around the creative that you might have got through a TV spot? I, I, I go back a long way with digital. And I, I, you know, when I dreamed my way into the world of digital, I thought that digital was going to take over the world. And maybe one day that might be the case. But this is a, um, a multi-platform industry. There's, there's posters, there's magazines still, there's newspapers, there's radio, there's TV, there's digital media. We're just part of a mix, right? So the best execution is the use of all of those solutions to, to, to create the end outcome. And so we're a, we're a contributor to that. So I, I'm, I couldn't say that digital, that you're going to see a campaign online digitally that is going to be as memorable as a Ron Seal advert. Now, if, if it's video and it's a viral video, then of course, yeah, we've all got the viral videos we talk about, you know, the, the, the guy jumping from space sponsored by Red Bull. You know, everybody will, ha- will know that. It's, it's, it's not got the same, it's got recall, but not in exactly the same way. Mm, yeah. This is, I'm, you know, even though I live and breathe and work in digital, I'm not going to say that digital is, is, the, is the total rounded answer. There's, you know, the, the advertising world is much bigger than that. Yeah, I think so. But what, one thing, and I'd love to just move on a bit and get your perspective on the future of digital or programmatic advertising. But one thing that is very, very clear is that programmatic as a sector is growing phenomenally. And if, mm. uh, I haven't got the numbers in front of me. I wish I had prepared that before we started to talk. But the growth in certainly in the US and the UK and, and now in other, I guess, emerging markets is phenomenal. So obviously the industry is seeing the value of digital advertising and it's moving in that direction, um, which I think is which is very, very encouraging and, and, and fascinating, actually. But from your point of view, what does the... 
what's the future look like? Is it, what does the future of programmatic or what does the future of digital advertising look like? Um, I think yeah, programmatic will absolutely continue to 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 grow. I think back to what I was saying earlier. I think that the the value proposition is in the handshake, is in the is in the trading of of data to deliver a, a, a better quality experience to the user and the right ad at the right time. And that's still evolving. You know, we're still evolving data. We're still evolving viewability, ad fraud, ad blocking. You know, all those kind of things. And 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 also. We're still evolving pro- programmatic solutions for native, for video, and so on. But the, going back to what I was saying again earlier, you know, this is a, a multi-platform environment, and you know, if you're going to buy programmatically, you want to be able to buy everything programmatically, whether it's native, video, large ads, small ads, whatever it might be. And you, you know, as, as a buyer, you really need to be able to measure all that stuff equally to be able to understand where your real impact is and put the right thing in the right place at the right time to balance user experience and, and ROI. So I think that, that, that that's where programmatic is, is evolving is, is around that handshake and around improving that, that data handshake that delivers a better um, experience all around. Interesting. And that data handshake, I think, is really important. Where do you think there needs to be uh, development, I suppose? Is it in brands and media agencies understanding of the landscape or is it in publishers ability to create and provide creative solutions to their needs around delivering ROI around that data handshake so where does the emphasis lie or is it as an industry as a whole we need to work together to actually forge ahead I suppose you know I you know I I I sincerely bat for the publishers and having been a publisher I, I think it's really important you know that that with, without content and without great websites, there is nowhere to put your advertising. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so you know that's that's really important. And without great content, there aren't any users and so on. So that part of the market is 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 the pivot. And without that pivot, nothing else exists. That said, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, the agencies and the buyers now are much better informed about what they're buying in most cases than the sellers. So the buyers have lots of data and information, analytics, larger teams, larger budgets. Um, you know, you've got a smaller number of buyers buying collectively over a large number of sellers. And that each individual seller cannot have the budget to be able to match the, the might and data information that the buyers have. So the reality is, is at the moment, the buyers do have a slightly upper hand I believe in 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 the the data and knowledge they have about what they're buying and how to buy smartly. Now, some of that is 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 predictive based on predictive algorithms and so on on the buy side to be able to try and get the best possible prices on the best possible sites and so on. And and, and it's absolutely again it's the right thing to do, but. It, it, it's difficult for the publishers to keep up with that because they don't always have the, the volume of, of, of data. They don't always have the, the, the spectrum of, mm. of tools or teams to be able to to match that. So if you know if it was if it wasn't one army fighting fighting another, you know the buying army is much much stronger than the selling army. Well, let's hope it's more of a uh, less of fighting and more of a common goal we're trying to achieve here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's probably totally the wrong analogy, and I, I don't believe it's a fight. I just think it's an evolution that, as publishers become better equipped with with 
more information, more data, and and ways to. And it's it's not a fight again. It's that handshake. It's, it, 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 I always again I go back to to my old days of selling, as I said earlier, and and, and with my sales teams in the past, I've always used a really simple description of sales you find the need and you fulfill the need and that's it right so if we know what the buyers want i want a big advert i want it to be at this part of the page i want it to be on these pages and i want it to be viewable i want it to be you know fraud free and so on and so on and we fully understand all those things if we can then dynamically answer that question with going oh do you know what i might really lay out my page here to accommodate what you're asking for and i might be able to give you some extra stuff here that's going to help you do a better job let's do that trade bang buy the advert and everyone's happy at the moment it, it's more of a mopping up game where you know the buyers are coming in with those requests looking around trying to find what they're ideally looking for and probably having a tough time trying to find it and and when they do find it then bidding the best price and the publisher actually has no idea that 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 particular piece of content that was published 18 months ago has some resonance that is somehow creating a really high value sale and you know it might be one or two pages on their website that is helping Ferrari sell more cars, right? <laughs> but they're still only probably being paid 50, 50p CPM for the impression. That impression's <laughs> worth a lot more than 50p CPM. So it's really, again, it's that handshake, understanding where your value is a publisher and being able to then use that value to trade with the buyer to get the proper price in the middle that makes everybody win. Um, and unfortunately, it's tough, tough for a publisher to have all of that information and, and to be equipped with the staff and the tools to be able to, to deliver that 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 yes. mutually beneficial handshake um, well, um and that that's that's what i think that's where i think the future of the of programmatic needs to go and i'm hoping to be a part of that well we've done quite a bit of research in this space with publishers and also media agencies not not so much with the client side and and you know my experience of talking to publishers is certainly that there's kind of two camps here there's the guys that have adopted this and are really running with it and those that are just kind of testing the water and struggling a little bit and i think that as the that the industry evolves and invests more time in this and if they're able to attract the talent that currently the ad tech landscape is attracting in terms of developers and people that can understand data and interpret visualize analyze data and, and help that will help them to actually understand that value exchange better and and create a better data handshake but um i would love to see a ferrari advert that um, <laughs> i've never seen ferrari advertised Did they need to? well but you know the, the thing is you know if ferrari were to do and I, I i don't know if they are advertising online i imagine they're doing something but it, you know if they were to they want to be really focused about the people they want to speak to and there are there are a handful of pages on the web that they probably want to be associated with and there are certain types of ads that they'll want to deliver on on certain styles of pages um so you know the sweet spot for their advertising opportunity online is going i imagine is going to be quite tight and that's why this handshake is really important is rather than the buyers looking around for a needle in a haystack that it would be good if we could find a position where the buyers communicated more to the, the sellers about what they're looking for and then the sellers were able to dynamically deliver a response to say uh, i have I, I can make that available for you right now or do you know what now i know you want that come back to me tomorrow i'm going to tweak mm. the website and give you more of what you Absolutely. need 
and and that's you know that so I think it's the dynamicness and the handshake um, is where the evolution opportunity is for the for the industry. There there is of course a, a scenario here, Andy, that uh, Ferrari are doing lots of advertising, but uh, people have realised that you and I aren't in the market to buy a Ferrari, so we aren't <laughs> seeing those that creative. Who knows? Who knows? Andy, look, that was a really really fascinating conversation, and I'm pretty confident we could carry on talking for quite some time. Yeah, uh, and maybe we'll get you back on the show at some point in the future, or even come down to one of the um, tech map events we have. Uh, yeah. We've got uh, quarterly events coming up this year. But in the meantime, if people want to have a chat with you and get more of a perspective on viewability or how you can help them as a publisher to to look at this stuff, where should they where should they find you? How should they get in touch? Um, so I'm Digital Andy on Twitter and, uh, and most other social platforms. And you can just get me on Andy at onscroll.com. Perfect. Andy, thanks again. Um, really good conversation and I look forward to seeing you soon. No problem. Okay. Thanks for listening to the TechMap Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. What an interesting and passionate guy Andy Evans is. I'm, I'm really, really pleased he agreed to come on the show. If you enjoyed the conversation and uh, would like to find out more, then drop us a line, say hello, leave a comment on SoundCloud, leave a review on iTunes, or better still, share a link with your colleagues or your friends or even your family. Uh, that would be superb. Thanks so much, and I hope to see you on the show again soon.